It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. We want to thank everyone for having us locked and loaded and tuned in. And, of course, you can correspond with us on the WNSP app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. We always love to hear from you and correspond with you in the app as well. Uh, a busy Thursday afternoon in sports here on the final drive as at 3.30 scheduled to have the founder of QB Country, David Morris, on with this to kind of give us a wrap-up on what happened at the Manning Passing Academy and some of the local flavor that was involved with that, along with some of his clients that are in the NFL looking here in a couple of weeks to get started for their upcoming season and practices as mandatory training camps will start here starting July 26th. We're also scheduled to be joined by Lindsey Crosby at 4 o'clock to talk Major League Baseball and what's going on. A lot of interesting situations unfolding prior to the All-Star game next week. And, of course, we have our Tide and Tiger report from 5 to 6 o'clock. 5 o'clock, we have Charlie Potter on talking Alabama and 5.30, Daryl Daprich talking the Auburn Tigers. So a busy Thursday afternoon scheduled for you. Michael Brauner, hope all is well. I know as we left yesterday after the show, we, we both got drenched in, in rain. I know you weren't able to get in any holes of golf after the rain, but today it's another scorcher and pretty much rinse, wash, and repeat here for the next week or so yeah it's that time of year man it's it's just gonna rain every day it is what it is it's a bummer but you know what can you do it's what you the price you pay for it to be you know warm in february <laughs> that's what you hope in late november early december as well but some of the storylines that that we've been following want to get your thoughts and get your comments uh, about espn college game day you know, it's a staple of Saturday mornings and has been so for so many years. And you look at the run that ESPN College Game Day has had every Saturday morning and here recently with the most recent layoffs. Of course, Lee Corso, 87 years of age. And I know with Corso getting on up there. He doesn't travel as much. He's still hilarious as ever. But he, he's one of those faces of college game day that, that you really know every single Saturday morning you're going to be able to see. But the changes over the last couple of years within ESPN college game day, you lose the bear who always gave you the odds 
the gambling odds, the spreads every Saturday morning. And I know many times the South Alabama Jaguars popped up on his board as as one of those spread specials. And then you lose Tom Rinaldi, who was one of the ultimate storytellers. You lose both Bear and Rinaldi to Fox Sports. And then here last week, David Pollock is released along with Gene Wojciechowski. And these are people that are staples of of ESPN College Game Day. And, And you add Pat McAfee, who is a live wire, and I'm not quite sure where and if he fits the mold of what we're used to seeing on college game day. Of course, they kind of got him in there this past year, and he, and he made his debut. But, you know, what what are your thoughts about when you get ready here in a, in a month and a half and you get ready to spend three hours of your morning watching college game day, and, and it's just not the same? Do you think we'll have that same vibe, or will it be a totally different vibe from what we're used to watching? No, it's uh, it's going to be completely different. I'm not really looking forward to the to the Pat McAfee aspect. I'm not really a big fan of Pat McAfee. Uh, I get what ESPN is doing, trying to. I guess they're trying to throw money at a at a problem that isn't really a, a, a money problem. It's it's almost an issue uh, with Game Day. I don't know. Game Day, to me, was was a perfect show. It's like trying to draw new people into Game Day kind of feels like a, a fruitless endeavor. It's a three-hour show. It's like sure. the people who aren't watching Game Day aren't not watching it because of the people on it. They aren't, they aren't watching it because it's a three-hour show and the – you know, not to go all old man on everybody, but like the <laughs> attention span of today's youth, it, it just doesn't sustain for a three-hour pregame show. Like the the audience of College Game Day is pro- has probably remained largely the same over the last you know ten twenty years, even with the evolution of sports media. I think probably the same amount of people, the same demographic of people that are sitting down on a Saturday morning and watching a three-hour college football pregame show, and I consider myself in that demographic, but. Yeah, you know, I I don't think that bringing in Pat McAfee is gonna like I get what ESPN is doing, trying to attract a, a younger audience to College Game Day, but I don't think bringing in Pat McAfee is gonna do that. I think it's if anything, it's gonna alienate the existing audience to College Game Day, and I I know it's gonna I'm not gonna watch College Game Day next year. It's gonna stink. It's well, gonna be the worst thing ever. I'll find something else to do on a Saturday morning until college football starts. You but. know, you, you kind of wait to see at the beginning when they're gonna have the preview on your team that's playing or participating, and, and normally whatever campus they're on, they do a couple of specials on those players. And you know, like I say, Lee Corso with the headgear—that's that's that's winner winner chicken dinner. Sure. And, and and that's a tradition to where when Lee Corso is no longer doing it. You want that tradition to continue, but to me, there there's only one Lee Corso, and the way that he was able to go ahead and bring that to a tradition of Saturday mornings, if you don't watch anything else, you're watching the last 10, 15 minutes of the show, and I think that Kurt Herbstreet always does a phenomenal job 
You look at Reese Davis taking over for Chris Fowler, and Chris Fowler is on, on site for the primetime game, and Herb Street joins them. So Herb Street has a, a, a tremendously busy day. And then you then you remove you, – you keep Desmond Howard on, of course, but you take people like David Pollock away and Gene Wojciechowski, and, and, and it, it just – to me – Again, football doesn't really start kicking off until 11 o'clock. And the lead up to whatever game, depending on if your team is being covered or not, the type of crowd and, and tremendous participation for, for all campuses involved. When they come to your city, like they say, when they come to your city, you, sh you show up and you show out. But there's a, a huge difference from being there and being a participant in the Home Depot college game day and having an orange hat or, or standing on that platform and actually sitting and watching a three-hour preview show across the country. And Pat McAfee to the SEC network because he's an outside voice from SEC homers is what someone in the app says. And they overpaid for Pat McAfee. And McAfee's antics are really more suited for the Fox Big Ten show. Give him a year before he says something wrong and gets the axe from ESPN. Well, I, I will say this. When you look at the amount of money that ESPN is pouring into to Pat McAfee's show, on top of then having him to, to sit in on game day as well, yeah, he's a live wire, and, and there's no telling what he'll say. I mean, his draw to, to the younger generation is definitely there. But that alone, I think that when you look at what David Pollack, how humble and how even-keeled he was, even when he made that statement that Georgia w was the new king and Saban was going to have to sit he, there. He was right. Uh, I, I mean – you, you you just again you wanted to see someone at that point in time right around January to prove him wrong, but you know Desmond Howard brings brings a great sense of humor uh, from his playing experiences in the college game to the NFL and still being able to relate. You know Kurt Herbstreit, he he does a phenomenal job. He and Chris Fowler both, when, when they're on the broadcast, it's not one that you really want to mute or turn down. But I, I just – I loved watching the Bears' odds when he – before he left and, and went to Fox. And you – Tom Rinaldi, just the ultimate storyteller, especially for those national championship game segments or those special family edition segments that they did. And Gene did a phenomenal job taken over as well for Rinaldi. But game day is something that I know if you're a college football fan, you're going to watch regardless. And as far as turning on to the Fox or the Big Ten coverage, Big Ten show, mm. I, I just I have no interest there at, at all. And I know that you know, Urban Meyer was was part of that Big Ten show. It, it's just not it's not the same, and and I know ESPN is not the same as a whole. But as far as gaining viewers, you know, I, I think that David Pollock. I'm hoping that 
he'll land on his feet and continue to to find a way to cover college football because when you're rooting in, in a conference and you're vested in a conference that's one thing I, I think that being able to be neutral that's that's hard to do as well I mean Herb Street he admitted you know his admiration for Nick Saban and Reese Davis of course being an Alabama grad you would have you would have never known that David Pollock played at Georgia and he really has and rightfully so these last couple of years I would poke my chest out too if if my school had not won a national championship since the early 80s and then having to wait this long to to have the return and become dominant in college football but I know when we had Tim Brando on and Tim Brando was talking about being one of the the forefathers uh, of starting college game day I, I love to see the after show with Lou Holtz and Mark May and a lot of people didn't like Lou Holtz and Mark May but I would sit and listen and watch them because they they were entertaining and funny to me and I just don't know what type of energy Pat McAfee is going in and again last year they kind of showed their hands a little bit but there's nothing like going back to the old Beano Cook and listening to Beano Cook did you ever have an opportunity to, to hear his predictions or or to hear his his voice his iconic voice Beano Cook yeah no I, I I tell you that's one that you definitely have to to search out and, and Google I'll look into that and, and he he's one of those guys that along with Tim Brando, you used to love to get Beano Cook's predictions on college football, on ESPN game day. And they've, they've had some superstars. I mean, Aaron Andrews, along with Samantha Ponder, ha have gone on to do great things from the sidelines and even greater than that. But as a whole, I just think that the new look that ESPN college game day is going to give you, just don't know how much longer Lee Corso is going to be able to do it, and I'm hoping that they continue the tradition once he's gone. So he will be back well. next year, I'm, as far as I know. I mean, it, it's one of those as his health allows. He may not travel on the road games. Yeah, well, but they're all road games. If he has an opportunity to, oh, far farther from his house. Okay. You know, you, you, I don't think he wants to travel across the country yeah. and go two or three time zones away from Orlando, Florida. I mean, I'll say this about Lee Corso. As, as much as I love Lee Corso, like, he wasn't looking great this, this past year. Uh, it was it was kind of tough to watch at times, and, you know, with, with all due respect to the legend that Lee Corso is. I mean, you should, it, it, was, it was almost, you know, if nothing else, like I said, you you hold off his talking and you just bring him out to, to, to put to, to, to put on the mascot. To, to, to That's do, a long to way to travel to put on the mascot. Head. Again, you just you pick certain cities that you want to show up for because he's iconic, and I, I'm quite sure that if Pat McAfee starts putting that on and lets Ugh. Lee Corso sitting right next to him and he blesses him and and lets everybody know in America hey you can start looking for Pat McAfee yeah. to put on the game day mascot head then i guarantee that threads or twitter or whatever you want to call it we're not talking threads on this show <laughs> it's going to blow up 
Thre- it, threads isn't a talk. real thing on this show. <laughs> well, it's it's a real thing according uh-uh. to the users, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. A new social media site called Threads, and it, it's the Elon Musk versus Zuckerberg. And, and I love competition, love competition, <laughs> but this one right here for social media attention is going to be real interesting. The final drive, Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you on this Tide and Tiger Thursday edition of the final drive. We'll be right back. This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on this Thursday afternoon. want to thank everyone for having us tuned in and locked in. Of course, you can correspond with us in the app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And, you know, as we get ready to approach all Major League All-Star Baseball weekend coming up next week, there's kind of been a player who is taking Major League Baseball by by storm. And Ellie De La Cruz Mm. of the Cincinnati Reds gets called up maybe two and a half to three weeks ago. Currently batting 318, four home runs, 14 RBIs. It's, It's unbelievable the type of speed that he has. He's been compared to to Deion Sanders in regards to his speed around the bases. But if you've had an opportunity to to see what happened last night as the Cincinnati Reds were taking on the Washington Nationals, you you always know that the umpires at any time, and and baseball has been a slower game, but for the Washington Nationals manager, to go ahead and, and question De La Cruz's having a plastic device. It was a knob on the end of his bat. And he goes ahead and smashes a 455-foot home run against the Nationals. And after he does it, prior to him, it's like maybe his third plate appearance. And earlier in the game, the Washington Nationals manager went ahead and called him out a little bit, wanted the umpire to check his bat. So I know we have a a little bit of audio that came about after the game about De La Cruz and and his bat. Yeah, so just for for context, so the Nationals manager, David Martinez, he had the umpires check the bat, which was completely fine, completely clean. Again, by the way, if you're not familiar with this guy, Ellie De La Cruz, get familiar with him because uh, he's spectacular. I think the Reds, yes, the Cincinnati Reds were like five games back or so of the NL Central when he came up, and they're now winning the NL Central. Like they, <laughs> he's he's one of the best players in baseball right now. Literally less than a month into his career, and uh, anyway, so the Nationals manager had them check his bat. The bat was completely clean. Uh, and then his next at bat, he goes and smashes like a 450 foot home run, and uh, kind of you know points to the knob as if to say, "All right, like you want to check it, you want to check it again now? Like, are are, are you sure? You know, you want to check it again?" And then this is Nationals manager Davey Martinez after the game when asked about it. I've never seen I've never seen them wear it before. I don't know what's 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 going on with it, but 
and they checked it and they came back and said that you know it was legal and I said I'm good you know no, no big deal is that the kind of thing that at some point you feel the need to mention that to David Bell your side of it or, or do you feel like what happened tonight I is think, I think they understand I hope they understand I mean you know I, I play with Freddie you know Freddie knows I'm not you know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to penalize this, this kid I'm not I mean you know uh, you know, I love the way he plays the game. I, I don't like his antics, you know, after he hit the home run. Um, we could do without that. He's only got two weeks in the big leagues, but, um, you know, he's, he's going to be a good player. <laughs> he's only got two weeks <laughs> in the big leagues. Uh, it's the never-ending battle between the old men of baseball and, like, the fun young— Like, David Martinez probably sits there and wonders, why is baseball dying? Well, baseball's dying because of that mindset. Oh, we could do without the ant. No, we couldn't. We could do with more of these antics. These antics are what make kids want to watch. Is what makes baseball fun. Is when Ellie De La Cruz gets a, a a false check on his bat that was completely clean, and then smashes a home run the next at bat and says, "Yeah, you want to check it again? Because it's fine." Uh, that's that's what baseball needs, man. That's what makes it fun. Young superstars who play the game with a lot of vibrancy and fun. I mean, and Davey Martinez after the game is like, yeah, I don't know about those antics. We could do without that. Oh, man, shut up. It, like, it was just casing. Up. It was casing that, that has a sensor on the knob of the bat. And, and believe it or not, the umpires weren't quite sure. And, and, and he's only been doing this the entire season. So anything to kind of play mental games. Now, you have to you have to understand, I think it's it's bigger than him not liking the antics. You know, he says there's nothing personal. It, baseball's a mental game. When you get in that head, it, it didn't work. It, it backfired because he strikes out in his first at bat, and then he goes ahead and absolutely crushes one, 455 feet. That shows, and then he points to the bat to let him know, yeah, yeah, it's legal. The umpires took a lengthy delay to consult with MLB headquarters to make sure that the sensor on the bottom of the knob of the bat was was legal. Yeah, this kid who's been in the league three weeks was using this illegal knob on his bat just so, you know, so, I mean, man. I mean, that whole thing is – but whatever. You want to get a check, get it checked. Then it wasn't illegal. It was fine. He smoked the home run off your guy the next at bat. And then, yeah, he's got he's got to talk his talk as he should. I mean, he's the best young young player in baseball right now. He's literally carrying the Reds, who've been just an atrocious team for a very long time. He's carrying them to winning the NL Central right now. Whether that'll remain the case, I don't know. Uh, he's on a pretty ridiculous pace. It'll be hard to keep up. But I, I mean, to get upset about his quote unquote antics, we could do without. His, oh, he's only been in the big leagues for two weeks. We could do without. Man, just keep your mouth shut, Davey. I, I, I love the love, antics. I love the I, antics. I love the antics, he, he, whether he's dabbing, whether he's flipping the bat, whether he's throwing up the fingers, showing that, that he has his jersey number 44 after his first career homer. This kid's electric, uh, by he, the way. He's, he he's awesome. I mean, he, he's worth the price of admission. And, and as you mentioned, the Cincinnati Reds, Making the Give movement. the Reds fans something to cheer about. They haven't had anything in 20 years. It's been a long time for the Cincinnati Reds. And I know that when you get and you're you're sitting atop of the National League Central now and over your last 10 games, you're seven and three. I think besides Otani and De La Cruz, they have an Acuna. They, they, they've been 
the the jolt for Major League Baseball. Yeah. And, and the changes that have come to Major League Baseball with the pace and the speed, I know we talked about it with Bryce Kane yesterday as he has played baseball since he was four years old and finally decided that to give football a try. He said, look, the speed of the game is, is what's the biggest difference and why kids kind of are gravitating more so to basketball and more so to football rather than going with baseball. And Major League Baseball acknowledged and understood that. And now the Cincinnati Reds are sitting in good shape. And the antics will continue and will continue after this break with QB Country's David Morris. David Morris coming up next here on The Final Drive. Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're staying nice and cool as the afternoon thunderstorms are, are getting ready to roll in here to Mobile. It's kind of rinse, wash, and repeat this next week. And football is one of those games to where rain, shine, Heat, sleet, snow, doesn't matter. You, if you're a football player and you're a gamer, you get out there and you know you're going to be involved in the elements. And part of the elements that go into it is the training involved. And there's none better at the quarterback position than our next guest, David Morris from QB Country, joins us this afternoon. David, I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July and all is going well for you, my friend. Hey, Corey, I appreciate it. We had a great sport. What about you? Man, absolutely fantastic. I mean, you, anytime you have leftovers for a couple of days and you're able to put some corn on the cob on the grill and get you some ribs and chicken, it, it's always fantastic. And, you know, you, you end it with some great watermelon and fireworks. It was it was outstanding, David. Thank you so much for asking. Yes, sir, absolutely. It, it's part of that that circle for you, you know, it's part of that faith, family, and football, the three Fs that go in. And we talked about the heating up and the temperatures. The Manning Passing Academy has ended, and it was in Thibodeau, I do believe, on, on the campus of Nichols State and kind of spread throughout satellite campuses because of the, the numbers that you guys had. But tell us a little bit about the growth and the experience that the Manning Passing Academy provides. Yeah, well, yeah. So, um, main passing academy. I want to say this is the 27th year that they that you put on the camp, and um, this year there was about 1,450 campers uh, from every state in a in America, and then also a couple you know other countries as well. So, so they bring in guys from all over. Uh, predominantly quarterback. I want to say we had like. Uh, 1050, you know, uh, 1050 quarterbacks, and then other um, 350 or 400 athletes were uh, were receivers, running backs, and tight ends. So uh, I think it's seventh, eighth grade, all the way up to rising 11th graders. Uh, excuse me, rising 12th graders, and um, and it's an awesome campus. It's on the campus of Nickel State, and uh, Peyton and Eli and Cooper and Archie put it on and. Um, and uh, 
and it's one of the things they're they're very hands on and uh, they're a big you know part of every aspect of the camp. It's really neat. You know, we bring in staff. The staff is about 130 coaches um, or staffers from high school programs, uh, uh, lower college programs. I don't think I think if you're a D2 coach and above, you can't coach at it. But it brings in great you know coaches. You know, then D3 NAIA. Um, and then, and then uh, you got you got some some independent guys like like me and a lot of my staff. And then, uh, and then about forty, we had forty four college quarterbacks this year that also make up part of the staff. Which those guys are you know range from anywhere from you know, Drake May at North Carolina to um, you know guys all you know everywhere. Uh, Devin Leary, Kentucky, and um, uh, you know, quarterbacks in the SEC, uh, kind of from all over. Will Rogers and um, and Joe Milton at Tennessee, and and it's, yeah, all the way, uh, all the way to, to, to some Ivy Leaguers and uh, some D two quarterbacks. So, so uh, it's a really just an incredible mix of talent and uh, and people that are all you know, kind of excited and honored to be a part of uh, you know the Manning, the Manning family and and uh, and, and that weekend. Well, you know, as hot as it gets, I, a couple of days ago on Twitter, and, and it kind of took the Twitter world by storm, you had Arch Manning with the with his shirt off, looking like ripped up like the Incredible Hulk, and here it is, Eli and Peyton, they, they poke fun at him a little bit. I, I think that there's definitely a, a little bit of a, a body mass difference between those three Mannings for sure. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, Arch is jacked up now. Um, he he's he's a ripped up kid, and he works hard at it. He's always in the weight room, and um, but yeah, that was funny. I saw I saw Eli's uh, rebuttal was uh, he's got a bad angle of me in that picture, you know, uh, typical Eli form. But uh, no, yeah, Arch is Arch is a you know six four to two eighteen probably, and, and just absolutely ripped up. So yeah, uh, I guess. Anytime he get an opportunity to take the shirt off, it, it may be coming off. <laughs> I, you know, when, when you look at the, at the Manning Passing Academy and, and the knowledge and the wisdom that's not only brought by the collegiate quarterbacks and passed down to the campers, the high school, and the other people who have come to, to take part of it, I know that when you look, though, at the up-and-coming quarterbacks from a collegiate standpoint people like Mike Penix Jr. coming out from Washington a lot of people don't get a chance to see the Huskies a lot because you're out on the west coast and you play so late but I know this young man he can absolutely spin it and he's one of those quarterbacks that are definitely going to be highly talented going into touted it going into this season yeah there's no doubt yeah Michael uh threw it good down there and had a good time I think that was his second or third year to be a, a staffer, and so he's a vet now. But no, he looked good, and you know a lot of the a lot of those guys look good, and uh, it's always fun to see them up close and personal. Now, when you look at the growth of QB country, I mean, you you have Daniel Jones who is really looking to to help turn the Giants franchise, and I know that he, he's waiting on Saquon Barkley to, to to help him out a little bit, and I know it's so much easier when if you don't even have a Pro Bowl running back if you have that back that can kind of help you out a little bit in the running game and make it to where all the weight is not on your shoulders. 
I know we, we, we just lost David. We can try to, to definitely get David back there. And, of course, Saquon Barkley holding out for the Giants right now. And, and I know Daniel Jones is one of those quarterbacks that has continued to show growth in the NFL. And, and the bright lights of New York City, one of the toughest places to play ever. I think that you look at Daniel Jones, and before we lost you, David, we were talking a little bit about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and how it kind of helps him a little bit when he has a prolific running back behind him. But the, the growth of Daniel and you being able to work with him, I know that's been special to watch. There's no doubt. Um, Daniel's earned everything. He's a he's an old-school uh, Jim Rat is uh, a guy that that always is wanting to do more and um, always he's never really looking at what he's accomplished or you know what he does well. He always wants to he's looking at the things that he thinks other guys do better than him and um, and you know in, in, a, in a sense he's so he's always kind of striving for more and I think that you know is the type of mentality you got to have when you're starting quarterback for for NFL football team. Um, because you know it's it's what have you done for me lately? And obviously his year last year was was really really good, um, and he built on uh, everything he he had done up to that point, and he got better, you know. And and three to three to one touchdown interception ratio just just took took care of the football, and uh, and didn't have any uh, any fumbling issues like he's you know was accused of in the past, and. Uh, and that, you know they won, you know, win nine football games and go to the playoffs, and um, and you have a couple games in there that where it's all on the line, and and uh, and he uh, and he and he plays his, his best ball. So that's you just you, you know that's what you want. You want to be able to play your best ball when it matters most, and I think that's the way he prepares. Uh, I think he's going to be better this year than he was last year, and um, you know he's he's got lofty goals and 67 percent last year, and I think he'll be up in the 70s this year, hopefully, and. Uh, they got they got weapons around them, so they're building that football team around Daniel. And uh, I was with Joe Shane uh, down at uh, Manning Passing Academy, and uh, you know they're just they, they they they're excited around there about well, you know what they're building. And uh, Daniel's you know integral piece there, and uh, obviously you know they, they're they're trusting him, um, you, you know uh, with with what happened with the contract and everything. So I, you you know I would expect uh, you know really really. Uh, big things from Daniel again this fall. David, there were two LSU quarterbacks at, at the uh, Passing Academy and Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. Nussmeyer, of course, got some time in the SEC Championship. Certainly has an arm on him. We haven't really gotten to see him in real game. I mean, the game against Georgia was kind of already at it. No one was beating Georgia in Atlanta that day. So we haven't really gotten to see Nussmeyer in, uh, in, a, in a fair situation in the game. But what did you see from each of them? Yeah, uh, two really good ones. Uh, Jaden Daniels was a guy that uh, surprised me a little bit. I, um, I knew, you know, I knew he was talented, and I knew he's kind of, you know, a big, tall, rangy guy. Uh, but, but he was just really consistent, threw the ball real well, and uh, and steady. Uh, Nussmeyer just has tons of confidence, and he has, you know, in, in that sense, he kind of he's uh, reminds you a little bit of Burrow, just because he's. He just uh, that type of swagger that's that's authentic and not 
pony is uh, is I think is unique, and but he's got it, and uh, he's he's got a I think he's really got a bright future there at LSU. Whenever his number is called, and he's probably uh, you know after Jaden's done, which which is this year. So yeah, Nussmeyer really impressive. Jaden Daniels um, really impressive, impressive, and uh, a guy that I think is gonna you know I think they're excited about what they got over there. And I, I just love the grit that when you look at some of the quarterbacks you've had an opportunity to work with, you know, Nick Mullins is one of those quarterbacks. He, he's been doing it the hard way in regards to nobody's giving him anything. When he's given the opportunity, he's been able to shine. And Gardner Minshew is another one. Matt Jones, even though, you know, it was hard for him to stay upright at times with the Patriots getting a new offensive coordinator this year. These are the type of quarterbacks that you've had an opportunity to watch continue to just work at the craft and, and not complain and, and just continue to want to try to stay on these rosters and stay healthy yeah there's no doubt i mean you know nick nick mullins and cooper rush you know who, who had a uh, who got paid uh recently as well um who's back back up in dallas uh you know bailey zappy is another one um jake from uh who will be you know, who, who's with the commanders right now. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's the reality of the NFL. You, you're probably not going to come in and be a starter. Uh, odds are, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, although, if you hang in there and you and you continue to stay ready and, um, you know, and work and, and, and do your job, then you're, you're likely to get a shot. I mean, there were 68 quarterbacks that started a football game in the NFL last year. So, you know, there's only 32 starters. So, I mean, you just do the math. Like, if you're a second stringer, odds are you're going to play next year. So, and then that's just an opportunity. Look at Cooper Rush. You know, he, you know, a lot of people were saying, should we even play Dak when, when Dak's healthy? And obviously, you know, Dak's one of the best in the league. So, you got to, right? But but Cooper, um, you know, I mean, he probably bought himself another decade if he, if he, want, if he wants it. So, um, and, you know, that's kind of the nature of, of this deal, you know, whether it be a Zappi or a Mullins or, um, uh, or A.J. McCarron or, or a Jig Fromm. It's like, hey, man, you know, stick around, you know, help the, help the room, help the starter, and then next thing you know, it's, it's your turn. And, you know, w- you know, kind of what happened with Mac and Zappi last year, it's one of those things where um, you know, Mac got a little banged up and then and Zappi plays good, and, and that, but that's the nature of the NFL. And now it looks like it's, you know, Probably max gig again, and 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 but that will be ready. And you know, same token, you know, we we trained Sam Howell and, and with the Commanders, and um, you know, and and we we have from two, and those are two different guys, two different roads, but both of them are just kind of doing their job. And and right now, Jake Prom's job is to help Sam Howell and and to be ready, you know. And so it's a fascinating thing, but um, but but it's also something that's you know, if you're playing quarterback in the league. It's probably that that type of a role, you know. Odds odds are that's probably your role. Is, is you know, you kind of got to wait your turn and and take advantage of it when your time when your number is called. Uh, yeah, but like you said, Nick Mullins done an incredible job with that. He's uh, Kirk Cousins back up, you know, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. So, um, yeah, couldn't be more proud of all those guys. They're making the most of their opportunity for sure. Well, the the plethora in these last questions that I have for you here in the last couple of minutes, David, is you look at the abundance of talented quarterback here in high school, whether it's K.J. Lacey, whether it's Jared Hollins, Josh Flowers, and a young man at Bayside Academy, Sam Dunn. 
same type of process that you've seen them continue to grow. It's just so much talent and the growth at the quarterback position. If you're a high school football fan, it's worth the admission on Friday nights. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you, you mentioned some good ones, man. I mean, um, you know, Sammy Dunn and, and uh, Landon Duckworth are two guys that will be sophomores next year. Uh, Landon's getting tons of, you know, recruiting um, attention right now, getting lots of offers. He's at Jackson High School. Sammy's kind of uh, under the radar, but not for long. And, you know, he's, he's going to have a big year. Uh, he had a good year. started a lot as a freshman last year. And then you got K.J. Lacey and, um, you know, guys like uh, Brennan Bird, uh, excuse me, Braxton Bird uh, over at St. Paul's. And, uh, I mean, you got you've got incredible quarterback play all around there. You know, Josh Flowers, like you said, and Jared Hollins and, you know, Baker and MGM. You know I mean? They're putting out – Division one quarterbacks and SEC quarterbacks, you know, uh, and Josh's uh, 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 example. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, and those are just a couple examples. I mean, there's, you know, uh, I mean, Cameron Rigby at Theodore, I mean, just an incredible little competitor and quarterback and who's, who got on the field early at Theodore and, you know, they're a powerhouse program now. And, um, yeah, just, just another example of, you know, week in, week out, or, or any Friday night you're, you, you know, you're in any game you're at, you're going to see really good quarterback play. It's a big testament to the staffs around here, the offense coordinators, head coaches, and um, and we love, you know, we love, you know, putting our little uh, work in with those guys too. So, uh, yeah, you're you're right. This talent going to be going to be a lot of talent on Friday night. Well, we love when you have an opportunity to to break the huddle with us here on the final drive and lead us down the field to victory and give us some of that quarterback knowledge that you share to some of your participants at QB Country. How can people reach out to you at QB Country and learn more about QB Country? Because it's not just here in Mobile. You've branched out all across the country. Yeah, uh, thanks, Corey. Yeah, go to, go to QBCountry.com, and uh, we have programs for, for youth quarterbacks, middle school quarterbacks, high school quarterbacks, you know, all the way up to, to the guys in the league. So um, learn more uh, there. We're also on, on Instagram and Twitter, at QBCountry. So I uh, always appreciate w- what you do, Corey, and big fan of yours. And uh, you guys you guys keep, keep doing it the right way, man. Appreciate you so much. David Morris joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Make sure you check out QB Country because the faith, family, and football that he brings to the participants that come through, second to none. We'll be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can correspond with us on the app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. In the first hour, we kind of talked about the shakeup at ESPN College Game Day. And do you like it? Do you not like it? Are you a Pat McAfee fan or not? Do you think he's a great addition or a horrible addition? And when they lose people like the Bear, who always gave us the gambling odds or the over-unders, Tom Rinaldi, and now Lee Corso getting on up there in age at 87 years old, you also lose Gene Wojciechowski. It makes for, along with David Pollack, makes for a different college game day and would love to, to get your opinion about 
Will you be watching a three-hour college game day this coming season? Or are you excited about college game day? And if there was an alternative that could be fixed that, that continues to cover all of college football, not necessarily a conference, would you be tuning into that? Or will you turn to the SEC Network and see a little bit more of Tim Tebow and Marcus Spears and the group? The final drive at 4 o'clock, we have Lindsey Crosby coming to us talking major league baseball of course next week we're at the halfway point already as mlb all-star game will be coming along along with the home run derby the winner will be a million dollars richer we'll talk to lindsey crosby coming up next here on the final drive From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And we want to thank everyone for having us locked in. Of course, you can get in touch with us on the WNSP app, correspond with us there, or you can go ahead and call us at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And of course... Next week, Monday night, especially, will be the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby, and it will be followed by Tuesday's All-Star Game. And who better to talk to about baseball, one of the biggest baseball guys that I know, Lindsey Crosby. He is the baseball writer for the Auburn Daily and the Braves today. And, of course, he's also a member of the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. And we welcome Lindsey Crosby in this Thursday afternoon. How's it going, my friend? Corey, this is the uh, the best week of the year. All of my interests combined this week, college baseball, professional baseball, uh, minor league baseball, they all combine in the MLB draft. And so I get to hang out and watch draft for a couple days. And then at the end of it, there's a home run derby and an all-star game. It's, it's a great time for me right now. Yeah, this weekend, I know you have the Major League Baseball draft. And, of course, I think we got a little bit of a preview on who and what to expect in the College World Series with Skeins and a couple of LSU players. Talk to us about where do you feel or how do you feel the draft is going to shake itself out, especially for the first few picks, probably being SEC household names. Yeah, there's a consensus top five in this draft, uh, and three of those five are SEC players. And then, like always, 
there's two prep players. Uh, Ryan Pitcher, Paul Skeens, and outfitter Dylan Cruz of LSU. Cruz had been the consensus number one just about all year, and there are people now who think the Pirates should take Paul Skeens at number one instead of Dylan Cruz. But either way, those two guys feel like a lock to go number one and number two. Washington picks second. I know they'll take Skeens if if he's there. Uh, and it, it's we you so rarely see teammates drafted high in the draft together. Never mind number one and number two. And it's kind of a testament to what LSU did. And if you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense that they won the uh, the the College World Series if they have the number one and number two picks in the draft. And then it makes sense that Florida was right there with them. They have number three, uh, the projected third pick in the draft, outfielder Wyatt Langford, as well as some uh, some different pitchers and things like that that you're going to see in the first couple rounds. SEC heavy as it is almost every year, uh, but it but it worked out really well that all of these first rounders, just about every team in Omaha had a first rounder on it. LSU just had the most and had the best one. Well, I, you know, you go from again the possibility of of changing your career and making millions of dollars getting into the farm system of whoever drafts you and sometimes it takes a little while to to warm up in the minor leagues i mean bubba thompson from down here in mobile alabama has has paid his dues and finally makes it to the rangers organization jeremiah jackson's another one with the angels organization and you look at people like ella de la cruz and, and what the immediate impact he's had once he is called up that's that's always a fun process when you see and you're able to stay healthy how long it takes and the process that's different from other organizations like the NBA or the NFL to where you come in to the big boy play immediately yeah, like that's what's so unique about the baseball draft is most of these guys, you're not going to see them for two years. Uh, it's from the 2021 draft, we've seen just a handful of players already debut in the bigs. Ben Joyce of Tennessee was one of them. And so I feel like because of that, not a lot of people pay as much attention to the MLB draft as they do other sports. Now, obviously, that's the big thing in the world to me. Unlocked and MLB Prospects will be going live on Sunday night for two hours. So go on YouTube and subscribe to Locked and Prospects so you can watch us for that. But so many of these players just have more growth to do. The best college players, you're looking at two years. The best high school players, you're looking at four or five. And that's really the other big place where baseball is different is you can go from high school straight into professional baseball. You're just going to spend a few years in the minors before you debut in the majors. And it, what's what, it, it, it's what makes college baseball so tough because you have a recruiting class and you don't know how many of your guys are going to show up on campus versus how many of them are going to enter professional baseball because they have until August 1st to decide, well, your deadline to submit your class is July 31st. So it, that's what makes college baseball so fun and there's so many, so many changes from year to year is you never know who you're going to have until literally the last day of the signing period. Talking to Lindsey Crosby, Crosby Baseball on Twitter. We talked to him about baseball every week. We've now transitioned a little bit from college baseball to the MLB. I want to keep it on Ellie De La Cruz for a second because he was a, mm. a big topic of the day after the events of last night with the knobbed bat and Davey Martinez having it checked, and then he mashes a home run. It, and I don't know where you fall on this end of the spectrum. It seems like there's kind of this, how do I put it, like this kind of ongoing 
war between the old guys of baseball and and the new guys of baseball. And, you know, David Martinez after the game says like, oh, like you know, he's a great player, but I don't really appreciate his antics. You know, pointing at the bat. I mean, David Martinez had the bat checked for something illegal, which he wasn't doing anything illegal, and then he mashes a home run on him. Like, yeah, I mean, he's he should talk his talk about it. I I don't know. I mean, I think this kind of thing is awesome for the game of baseball. I think that kind of ongoing war is good for the game of baseball too. But man, I I, I was so annoyed to hear to hear Davey say that. It's like, man, like like could you sound more like an old crotchety baseball guy than to say we don't need those antics? Some of the unwritten rules of baseball are honestly a little bit dumb. And Davey Martinez having the bat checked, it's a little bit of gamesmanship, right? They're trying to throw him off a little bit. You'll see the same thing. They'll ask a uh, 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 umpire to go check a pitcher for a foreign substance or something like that but if you're going to dish it out Davey you have to be able to take it and on at the end of the day if you don't want Ellie De La Cruz to point at the bat after hitting a home run be better play better than that <laughs> don't let him hit the home run and if you give up a home run that's what you have to take like that that's the flip side of this you are more than welcome to try to throw him off by asking to have his bat checked that is perfectly legal but you got to live with the consequences if he shows you up by hitting a home run. Uh, Ron Washington, you know, the, the third base coach for the Braves, he's 71 years old. And the quote from him is, if you don't like it, play better. So if anybody's upset at, uh, at Ellie De La Cruz pimping his home run, they need to get mad at the Nationals for letting him hit it in the first place. Yeah, I agree with that 1,000%. And, you know, unfortunately, you, you wanted to see Trout or – Otani play in the all-star game and, and, and it's not going to happen because of the blister on his finger but at, at this point in time from a major league baseball standpoint there, there's a lot of talking heads that say look Trout's contract's too great and Otani's getting ready to renew go ahead and cut your losses with Otani I, I, I don't know how you can trade a generational player and I know that, you know, it's from a money standpoint, but the Angels already aren't great. But could you see them actually trading? And I don't care how many prospects you get for them. Would you get enough value for them? I, I honestly don't see them making a trade. Like, yes, they're seven games back from the Rangers, but they're in range of the wild card. And it's something where I think more so than what you get back as far as prospects, it, it, what is the message sent to Angels fans, right? Uh, Mike Trout has made the playoffs. He's, he's been in baseball 11 years. He's made the playoffs once in his entire career. It was his, his rookie year. They didn't win any games, and he's never been back. And you've worked. You've done all of this work. You've structured your draft to get college players so you can get impact at the major league level. You've done all of this stuff, signed free agents, made trades to try to make the team competitive. What does it say to your fans if you trade the – who I think is the greatest player in baseball, uh, you trade him a month and a half before the season ends. Like it, It's telling the fans, you don't have to worry about renewing season tickets next year because we're giving up. We don't think we can do it. We've given up. You have to keep Shohei Otani. And are you going to get the same value out of it when he leaves as a free agent and all you get is the compensatory pick? You're not. But it's not just the return and prospects. It's, it's the message it sends to your fans. And the message needs to be, and what the Angels have done a good job of this year with the in-season trades, with the free agent signings, is we are doing everything we can to build a competitive team around these two guys 
so that we can make the postseason because it's what they deserve, it's what the fans deserve, uh, and we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. You can't trade Shohei Otani. Just you have to keep him through the rest of the season, even if he goes somewhere else in free agency. Is he the one of the best baseball players you've ever seen put on a uniform? One hundred percent, he is. Like not even a doubt, not even a hesitation. He is probably the greatest baseball player that I have seen play the game of baseball, and that it sounds kind of ridiculous. I've been having fun with this thing where every day I'll just find a random Shohei Otani stat that's absolutely ridiculous, and I'll send that out. And the one from today was Shohei Otani has hit more 440-foot home runs than anybody in baseball. He's hit 10 of them. (laughs) As a pitcher in 100 innings, he's not allowed a single home run of 440 feet. He's doing things that literally have never been seen before in baseball. Babe Ruth didn't do both full-time at the same time he was a pitcher then he was a hitter he didn't do them at the same time to the level that Shohei Otani is he is the greatest baseball player alive and he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time yeah I I, it's amazing to me that he's kind of kind of crept up on the scene a little bit but every year his greatness it went under the radar, and now it's 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 on there, and it's not he's not a blip anymore. He he's staying on there, and he's being recognized by the world as possibly one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Does does it take anything away from him just being able to swing the bat and be able to be a pitcher? Is it because he's a a two way player? Is that what makes him the greatest, one of the greatest of all time? I don't think it's necessarily the fact that he does both because we've had two-way play. College baseball has two-way players every year. It's the fact that he does it to such a high level. Like right now to be one of, I think it's top six in ERA in baseball, as well as have, I think, lead the American League in home runs at the same time, to be one of the best in the sport at two things that are completely different where nobody's ever been able to do that, that's what makes him so great. The physical demands on a player to do just one of those things at a high level is intense. And the fact that he's able to do both of those things at the level of one of the best hitters in baseball and the level of one of the best pitchers in baseball and to do it simultaneously is literally unprecedented. And I don't know how long he can do it for. It took him a while to, when he first came to America, it took him a while to get fully healthy and to be able to do them both the same way, but he should have had to, uh, MVPs. He should be the MVP this year, and every year he's doing this, he should be the MVP until he retires, where he's then going to go into the Hall of Fame. Like that's how great Shohei Otani is. Talking to Lindsey Crosby, wrapping up Crosby Baseball on Twitter. Lindsey, I, I am always curious to know, and you know, I'll get your opinion as a as a real baseball guy. Like, what would? Because the best comparison for Otani is Babe Ruth, just for the pitching and hitting. What would? Babe Ruth be doing in 2023 and what would Shohei Otani be doing in the Babe Ruth era? Like, would Shohei Otani have been hitting like 750 in the Babe Ruth era and would Babe Ruth be, you know, like he'd be very good, but you know, he wouldn't be Babe Ruth in 2023. Yeah, the, the general skill level of everybody else in the sport has risen so much, right? Like, baseball players back in Babe Ruth's time had other jobs that they worked outside of the season and when they weren't playing, And I just, it feels like almost any athlete from today, if you were to send them back to the 1920s, they'd be the greatest baseball player alive. 
provided that they could adjust to the different equipment. And I feel like if you brought Babe Ruth forward, he would still be a good hitter. He was so dramatically better than everybody else in baseball. Like, it's hard to think about. He had seasons where he hit more home runs than entire teams did. So I'd like to think that some of that ability would translate to the modern day, but he would not be leading the league in anything. It's because baseball has just evolved so much as far as specialization, as far as equipment. I guarantee you he did not see 101 miles an hour in the 1920s. That just didn't happen. So uh, Babe Ruth would not fare as well today as Shohei Otani would fare in the 1920s. The Atlanta Braves continue to be red hot, nine and one in their last ten games, fifty-eight and twenty-eight overall. Acuna Jr. He, he he's doing things that no major league baseball player has done in the history of the game. I know that when you start looking at being able to to continue to get better year by year, it, it, now that he's being surrounded these last couple of years with the winning formula. He he's putting on a show as well. Yeah, listen, he nobody has ever had a first half of the year before the All Star break with twenty home runs, forty stolen bases, and fifty RBIs. Never happened in baseball history. Ronald Acuna not only did it, he accomplished the whole thing last week. Like it, he didn't even take him to the final the final game of the first half of the season. Uh, that's how great of a year he's having, and it all comes back to he cut his strikeout rate by more than ten percent like the sixth season of his career and he's still making significant leaps to improve what he does he strikes out 12 percent less uh, against fastball and it's just to make jumps this far he if it was not for Shohei Otani he would be I would say Ronald Acuna is the most talented player in baseball but Shohei Otani exists and we have to we have to ignore that and so Ronald Acuna Jr. should be the, the MVP of the National League for what he's doing uh, and then he's the second most talented player in baseball behind Shohei Otani. And it, the excitement that's going to be in the All-Star game, I, I think it's going to be fun to to see. And the winning on Monday, the, the winner of the Home Run Derby receives $1 million along with a pretty impressive chain. Seattle is going all out the 2023 home run derby champ to receive a three pound chain filled with over 1000 stones. How do you like that for winning? Uh, I would say go ahead and measure Pete Alonzo for it. Pete Alonzo's <laughs> won two home run derbies. This is going to be three. This for some reason seems to be Pete Alonzo. Like this is the thing he was born to do was crush baseballs. Uh, he is the favorite on all of the betting boards. He's somehow a two seed this year. I don't know how that happened, but as much as I like the field, I like some of these guys, Adolis Garcia, Vlad Guerrero, things like that. Pete Alonso is going to win this thing running away. He has the last two years. This is what he specializes in, and he takes it so seriously. Go ahead and measure him for that chain now. He's going to look good wearing it, and he might as well enjoy it because it's probably the only thing a member of the Mets is ever going to win. <laughs> yeah, they're that bad this season and are really struggling. Any other surprises as we get ready to hit the halfway point? I know the Tampa Bay Rays got off to that phenomenal start and, and, and really shot out like a firecracker. And the Rangers have kind of slowed and pumped their brakes a little bit here in the last 10. But any predictions on the back half of the MLB season coming from you? 
I think in the back half, you're going to see some of the space in the National League. Some of these teams start to separate. You have a lot of teams in the Central that are not very good. One team's going to make the playoffs. Everybody else is going to miss the playoffs because the record's so bad. Uh, trade deadline is at the end of, of July. You're going to see coming out of the break, whoever is really hot, they're going to be buyers, and whoever's not hot, they're going to be sellers. But going into the break, real quick, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Braves versus Rays. The Braves have one more win than the Rays. We close out the first half in style. I think Atlanta is going to win two out of three of these games, if not sweep them altogether. Really looking forward to seeing the all-star game and what happens in the back half of the major league season. And, Lindsay, how can everyone always follow all of your great cover of not only what's going on with the Auburn Tigers program, but along with your great Braves coverage and other major league baseball? So I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The Major League Baseball coverage, bravestoday.com. We do that for Sports Illustrated. The, uh, the Auburn Tigers coverage, auburndaily.com, also for Sports Illustrated. And for the MLB draft stuff, Locked and MLB Prospects will be going live on Sunday night with pick one, live all the way through the first round. Come find us on YouTube. Lindsay, thank you so much. You have a great weekend and enjoy paradise for yourself. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday is baseball heaven. Thanks for having me, Corey. Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon, wrapping up the first half of the Major League Baseball season and giving his predictions and just giving us the 411 on who he considers one of the goats of baseball. And you're not going to get much argument from a lot of people. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And definitely want to thank Lindsey Crosby for jumping on with us this afternoon. And, you know, one of the weirder stories that, that came up today, whether it was you jumping on threads or checking out the new threads or checking out Twitter was Britney Spears being connected to Victor Wembanyama. And that's a connection I never would have put together, but the connection with Britney Spears and Wembanyama was the fact that she got slapped by his security. And Wembanyama said that Britney Spears or touched him and put her hands on him, which in turn made the security of Wimbenyama slapper. So here it is. You have him making his NBA debut tomorrow versus Brandon Miller and the Hornets, and and Britney Spears gets slapped. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a wacky story to read, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll get back. Can we talk about threads for a minute? Yeah, we, absolutely. We, we got it because, you know, I know you're on it. I'm on threads. I, I, like, I, I like my threads, oh, man. man. I like my threads. What are, what are, what are we doing here? What, what are we so, doing? Social media what, taking over the world, what, brother. Like, it's already taken over. Like, I'm I'm resigned to that fact. That's fine. And again, like, you know, I'm casting stones from a, from a glass house here. I, you're talking... 
you're hearing from a guy who's on Twitter for, you know, 20 of the 24 hours of the day. Like, again, you know, don't don't take screen time advice from me. But, like, that being said, this Threads thing, what, what are we doing? Why is everyone on my Twitter timeline, it's like, oh, I'm on Threads now. I'm on Threads. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not downloading a new social media platform. Like, it, Threads could become the most popular thing in the world. I, I refuse, man. I am putting my foot down. And, again, this is not a... Musk versus Zuckerberg. Yeah, it thing. is. Uh, it's not, yes, well, it is. For me, at least, it's not. I don't care, man. These I, guys are going at like, it. These like, billionaires are going at well, there it. Well, ru- there are rumors that they're going to like fight in a cage match, which well, would, would just be electric. By the way, if you didn't know, Zuckerberg is like a, uh, you know, say what you want about the guy, but he's like a jujitsu black belt <laughs> like expert. He's going he's, uh, Musk is, doesn't really know what he's getting into if, that, if they're going to do that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so all that being said, Again, for me, it's it's not like I'm not like loyal to Musk and Twitter. I don't care. I'm just not downloading a new damn social media platform and starting to get like, come on, man. Another 30 million people are on this thing already. It's going to grow. It's going to continue to grow. I, I, it's going to be 100 million within a month. Come on. Man, it just goes to intensify what we're seeing. And you get multiple angles or multiple coverage of you know, Britney Spears being slapped by Wimbenyama's security. I mean, if, if you if you missed it on Twitter, you can oh, catch you it, it on threads. Get it on threads, yeah, because I miss everything on Twitter. I'm only on Twitter 20 hours a day. One, <laughs> just what I need, another social media platform. Get out of here, man. I, ref- I outright refuse. People can start coming to me with with big money offers to join threads. That's the, that's the you, only you, way it's going. You, you're you're going to join. You're going to get in. I, I, like, you know, save this clip. Because I don't think I am. You're going to give in. You, I, I don't think you're I gonna, am. You're going to give in. I have in. no reason to. You, you're going to be in your new thread. It's just another thing that's going to keep me buried on my phone that I already <laughs> spend way too much time on. I don't need another social media. I spend way too much time on my phone. Oh, what's Zuckerberg going to do now? Oh, he's just going to give you another reason to be on your phone more. <laughs> oh, give me a break, man. Another one? Like in 30 million people in what has it been? 24 hours? Yes, sir. What a joke. I, uh, and I saw you scrolling on it it's the exact same thing as twitter why do i need a second twitter well and and here's what what it is you know you're, you're gonna have some people that are still upset with elon musk and, and the changes that he's made to twitter on Get how, over it. how they can filter out information and when you have no cap on the amount of information that you can give out. Oh, my God. You, you can put a, a, a character number on it, but I'm telling you, man, this Threads versus Twitter thing, it's real. I, like, the again, beef is real. I don't doubt that, like, it's, you know, we're talking about America here. I, I, I don't doubt that it is going to blow up and be a real thing. I'm just saying I'm not going to be a part of it. You want to be a part of it, you be my guest. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm staying. And, again, it's not – I don't care about Elon or Twitter. I'm not like a Twitter loyalist. I just don't care to set up another account. I'm not doing it. I'm well, done. Well, well, I will say this. You know, whether you're going to be with Twitter or whether you're going to be with Threads, it's it still both of those stories have made their rounds on all social media about Britney Spears, you know, reaching out, wanting to take a picture with Wimbenyama and what happened next you know, she got smacked, and I, I think that security, you know, they they might have been a little overzealous with their job, and of course, you know, Britney Spears has not been known to be one that holds her tongue, and I think that you're going to have 
uh, some criminal complaints being filed in regards to something being sent to the DA. But anytime you have a criminal investigation for a superstar being asked to take a picture and smacked by security, I, I, trust me, we hadn't heard the last of this story for sure. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Bounty with my producer, Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and we start off today's show talking a little bit about the ESPN College Game Day shakeup that's going to be going on. And, you know, here within the last hour and a half, whether you're on threads or whether you're on Twitter, you find out that former Alabama running back and former New Orleans Saints running back Mark Ingram is going to be joining Fox Sports as well. He's going to be joining the Big Noon Kickoff Show, and that's another addition. So you you look at the roots and the broadcasting for Mark Ingram. He's going to make his debut on Fox Sports doing a little Big Noon Kickoff Show, and I think that that's, that's something that I know Mark Ingram, he, he loves communications. He loves the fact that, he has an opportunity to, to become a broadcaster, and that's what he loves and his passion is. So Mark Ingram, just a new addition there to the Fox family. And we mentioned that the Fox family had already taken Bear away from college game day, the over-under odds maker, and also Tom Rinaldi. But now add Mark Ingram to that as well so you definitely have a nice mix going on and he'll have plenty to talk about because you also have the texas longhorns being predicted to win the big 12 for the first time since 2009 texas predicted to win the big 12 and there were eight and five a year ago they want to go ahead and walk away with that Big 12 title, take it over to the SEC and see see what and if they can compete and win the SEC. But eight and five in, in Sark's first year and the order of finish for the Big 12, Texas, K-State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and TCU. Any surprise there that, that Texas was picked finally to win the Big 12? Uh, no. I mean, I, I really do see the Big 12 right now as kind of Texas and everyone else, which, I mean, to your point, is kind of crazy to say just because they haven't really been legitimately successful in a very long time. Uh, but I, I do see it that way, man. I mean, they're by far the most talented team. I think TCU is going to take a big step back. I don't. I think Kansas State is okay. Uh, I think Oklahoma is going to continue to struggle. So at that point, you ask yourself, like, all right, like, who else but Texas this year in the Big 12? I, again, this is all barring injury and, and, and stuff like that. You know, if Quinn Ewers goes down week one or week two, then, you know, maybe we're having an entirely different discussion. But they're You really mean talented. to tell me the jacked 
Manning, Arch Manning, is not going to be able to come in and keep Texas. I think Arch is QB three right now, as yeah. a matter of fact. So yeah. you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. But yes, I I did see the picture that you're referring to. They uh. They have some quarterbacks who, who lift weights in, the, <laughs> in that <laughs> weight room. Arch, Arch is big, man. I, I you know I gotta hand it to him. He's uh, man, he's not missing. He's not missing any any weight room no, sessions. No, he's uh, he's he's swallowing know, barbells. He's not looking like you know the skinny kid that nah. we might have thought he is. So credit nah. to him. But uh, Malik Murphy, I believe, is the, is the name of the backup who would come in if Ewers were to get hurt early. You know whether Arch could pass him as as QB two on the depth chart over the summer. Maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. I Malik Murphy is a redshirt freshman who, in his own right, if you remember when we talked to Taylor Estes, uh, you know, he was a highly regarded recruit himself. So, you know, they have three good quarterbacks on the depth chart. We'll see what happens. I mean, I'm a big believer in Quinn Ewers. I'm a big believer in that really great receiver room they have. I mean, I, I think the most impressive part when we got to look close at him against Alabama last year, one, uh, I believe they were playing two freshman tackles, and they were able to pretty much neutralize Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. Uh, but also, you know, kind of the narrative going into the game was Texas wouldn't be able to create any kind of pass rush on Alabama's offensive line. Of course, that wasn't remotely the case. Texas kind of gave Alabama fits. Uh, they have a better defense than a lot of people give them credit for, a, a defense that clearly can compete with an SEC offensive line. So, I mean, looking at that Alabama-Texas game, yeah, I do think there's a really good chance Texas wins. Uh, I think it's kind of dumb to look at oh Alabama or Texas almost beat Alabama last year and Bryce Young and Will Anderson are gone. Yeah, it was at Texas and Will Anderson probably had his worst game of his career and there are a lot of other factors at play there. But you know Quinn Ewers, the fact is if he was on the field, Texas probably wins that game. Uh, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm going to be pretty shocked if Texas doesn't win the Big Twelve. I, I I mean I just I can't really make a fair case for anyone else right now well, barring injury they're the best team in it i mean when you look at the votes kansas state of course we know the way kansas state absolutely is the defending big 12 and the reigning big 12 champion something a lot of people didn't see it was a great game between them and tcu and that's where the argument came in with tcu actually in entering the college football playoff story but Oklahoma at three and I know we talked to Dennis Dodd and yesterday and, and he felt that the Sooners weren't going to be that good and, and I think it's been echoed by a couple of other guests that we've had from a national writer's standpoint saying that Oklahoma who was it that we had on that, that said Venables they, they weren't sold on Brett Venables. Oh, uh, that was uh, was that Luganville? I can't remember. I don't want to misquote someone, but uh, Barrett Salee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Barrett Salee said that he wasn't sold on Venables at, at Oklahoma. I mean, they're picked to finish third. Um, you know, Texas Tech at fourth, TCU at fifth, Baylor at sixth. There in the Big Twelve, but the Big Twelve definitely. I know that. Texas and Oklahoma both, the rest of the Big 12 want to do everything they can do to prevent that championship leaving the Big 12 and heading over to the SEC. And that's for certain. And uh, I think that Mark Ingram joining Fox Sports, the Big Noon Show, is, is an outstanding addition. And, of course, their media days, the Big 12 media days is coming up 
next week. It will be next Wednesday and Thursday. So I know we'll have plenty of coverage and sound bites from not only Mark Ingram's coverage of that conference, but and you, you look at Mark Ingram being able to to defeat Texas in the national championship game in the way that he did and kind of propelling himself to a great NFL career and then having an opportunity now, you would think, all right, well, there's been enough superstars that have played in the SEC. I mean, just – and even coached in the SEC who have moved on to cover other conferences. And Mark Ingram's great at what he does. Sure. I know I've listened to I him. I would love to get him on SEC games. Network, man. It's just one of those stars. I, I mean, they have too many yeah. as it is. I mean, you brought it up though. I mean, that's that's what I'm gonna be watching now. I'm not watching Pat McAfee on ESPN on Saturday mornings, and I'm I'm not like the biggest fan of Tebow the analyst. He's okay. Uh, I'd rather watch him than Pat McAfee, that's right. for sure. But you know, T I think Marcus Spears does a great job. You know, and I'll watch Feinbaum and you know, Fine. You know, have your. I know everyone's got an opinion. Everyone in the South has an opinion on Paul Feinbaum. I'm actually, I'm pretty neutral on him. So I'll I'll, I'll do Feinbaum and, and Tebow and Spears, and, and that'll be enjoyable. I I would love to have Mark Ingram on there, but yeah, that's that's probably gonna be my next uh, my new pregame spot. So I guess get used to it. I'll have to I'll have to become a Tebow stan. Well, I know I, I I used to love it when Big Marcus Spears was on there, but but you have I mean Feinbaum. Laura Rutledge, Jordan Rogers, Roman Harper. I enjoy Harper and Tebow and what they're able to do. Of course, Marty Smith and Peter Burns do a, a phenomenal job as well. And it'll just be, you know, if the SEC is your conference and you, you don't necessarily care for Pat McAfee, you, you'll go ahead and you'll probably tune to the SEC network. But I just think that as far as making room for Mark Ingram and, and making his debut – why not go ahead and, and, and test the waters in the Big 12 and have an opportunity to to learn more? So does that mean Ingram and uh, Urban Meyer are going to be sharing a desk? Yeah, strong possibility. Yeah, I think that's a strong possibility of, of what you'll see. Uh, but but I think that Mark Ingram, when you when you do have an outsider like that, come in I think he can he can give a different perspective and, and the same thing with Urban Meyer I mean Urban Meyer paid his dues when he was at Ohio State of course but, but if you were to ask Urban Meyer you know I think that his time was probably a little bit more enjoyable at Ohio State than Florida because of all the situations and circumstances that he had to deal with now from a talent standpoint of course there was more talent at Florida than Ohio State, as evident as him winning those national championships. But when we come back, want to have an opportunity to to talk a little bit about Michael Vick and, and the comments that he made about who he feels has the capabilities of being the greatest NFL coach of all time. And it's probably not who you're thinking coming from Michael Vick. We'll touch on that on the other side of this break here on the final drive. Hey, this is Jake Tucker, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSB. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Wrapping up our number two here as we prepare for the Tide and Tiger report that's coming up. But I mentioned before the break, Michael Vick, of course, an elite quarterback in his own right, played for Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And Michael Vick says his former coach, Andy Reid, might be the greatest coach of all time. And Michael Broner, I know that doesn't make you happy because in my eyes, in in Patriots' eyes, in many eyes, Bill Belichick is going to be considered the GOAT of the NFL. Mm. Now, what Andy Reid has been able to do in Philly and Kansas City has been pretty impressive. And and with some guy named Mahomes continuing to write the script, how many more world championships does Andy Reid have to win <laughs> to, to be considered the GOAT? Well, hmm. how do I address this one? So Bill Belichick has what? Like 10 rings, I believe, between his coach and coordinator style. Have your opinion if you want, Michael. I mean, Andy Reid doesn't have a Super Bowl ring without Patrick Mahomes, who's arguably the most talented, and I am not saying greatest, I'm saying most talented quarterback to ever play the game already. Yeah, and that's not even a crazy statement yet. He really is that good. Uh, that being said, Andy Reid also got to a Super Bowl. Uh, and, you know, had the Eagles as a perennial contender in the NFC, obviously without a generational quarterback, whereas Bill Belichick as a head coach kind of has accomplished a whole lot of nothing without Tom Brady. Uh, you know, brought the Browns to the playoffs, brought the Patriots to the playoffs in Mac Jones' rookie year, but got drubbed by 30 by Buffalo. So, you know, th it's in comparison, it's kind of a whole lot of nothing without Brady. So I get that, uh, you know. I don't think he's ever going to pass him, but it's it's like, I get it. It's like, it's a fair point. I don't think it's this, like, preposterous point. Uh, I, I You know, he, he can say it. I disagree with him, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the most ridiculous thing to say. I, I think Andy Reid's resume is going to continue to play out now. I think. And he's going to keep winning, he, too. He, he will win another world championship before Belichick wins another world championship. That's for certain. Probably. Now, will he ever elevate to that type of status? I don't think either of, of them have a ton of time left, either. No, no. I, I, but I, I do believe that, you know, he, he is definitely in the right realm in regards to Andy Reid's script still being written. And also, you know, what's being written in the NBA is how about Rondo and LeBron teaming up and this I missed. You, 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 when I say teamed up, guess where they teamed up at, Mike? N not the Lakers. EYBL coaching Bryce James. Okay, yeah, I did, and I did SFG. miss this. And helping his team to a victory, Bryce James picking up a victory in EYBL being coached by LeBron and Rondo. Pretty, pretty famous assistant coaches there. And, of course, earlier today, a little three-way trade in the NBA. Grant Williams, we remember him from the Boston Celtics. Well, he's now a Dallas Maverick. Playing yeah. alongside Didn't of, get a lot back for him either. Yeah. I mean, Doncic and Kyrie is, is who you're you're gonna be playing with. And you know, the Magic the, the Mavericks did receive 
Williams and two second round picks and the Celtics they got two second round picks out of it and of course the Spurs received Reggie Bullock with the swap with Dallas so that's a little bit of action to go on in the NBA and of course Kobe Bryant on the cover of 2K24 you can get the regular edition or the Black Mamba edition as NBA 2K celebrating 25 years and decided for the second time ever, of course, when Kobe Bryant passed away with his daughter in that tragic crash, they decided to honor Kobe the following season on the cover. And, of course, now they, they've honored him now in this new edition as well as 2K. You ever played 2K? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I tell you, you know, Kobe Bryant and honoring him Gone but not forgotten. Definitely one of the GOATs for sure. And we'll move on to the third hour of the final drive. Tide and Tiger Report. It was great wrapping up ESPN College Game Day's new look. Talking a little bit about Pat McAfee. Of course, we talked Texas being predicted to win the Big 12. Ellie De La Cruz. Want to thank our guest as well in the first couple of hours here at the final drive coming up next the tide and tiger report we'll talk to charlie potter along with daryl daprich in the third hour on the other side of the break This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on this Tide and Tiger Thursday. And, of course, we're excited about this Tide and Tiger Thursday because there's so much going on from an Alabama and Auburn standpoint. And Charlie Parter does an outstanding job of covering the Alabama Crimson Tide. Senior team writer for Bama Online for On3 Sports, covering Alabama football and men's basketball since 2013. So when it comes to talking about the Crimson Tide and everything Alabama and things at the Capstone, none better than Charlie. Charlie, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Charlie, the, the, the news of the day has kind of been Mark Ingram kind of redefining what big noon kickoffs is going to look like. And I, I'm happy for Mark because he's always been a phenomenal broadcaster when he sat in on some Alabama spring games. And, you know, with the struggles that ESPN College Game Day is now having, it's kind of great to see someone sitting on the stage with Urban Meyer and that has beaten Texas in a national championship game. And you, you're sitting there along with some other greats like Matt Leinart, another Heisman Trophy winner. It's a great move for Mark Ingram. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that is hanging up his cleats. Uh, I think that's kind of overshadowed in a lot of this is that he's retiring from football. And that's 
that's kind of sad just because, you know, Mark Ingram is Alabama's first Heisman Trophy winner, and that hasn't seen that long ago. But, like you said, it is a, a great first step in a, a you know post-football playing career. You know, he's still going to be around the game. And you can tell that's something that he enjoys. You know, he has that podcast with Cameron Jordan, who's his teammate there with the Saints. Uh, he even served as a, a sideline reporter for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, last year for the bowl game. So he has a little bit of kind of on camera or behind the microphone experience, but you know, this is a, this is a big one uh, because you know, big noon kickoff Alabama fans aren't as familiar with that as say college game day. Uh, I know last year with the Texas game, they got a little taste of that, but um, you know, that's a more of a big 12 kind of pack 12 player, but you know, Mark Ingram, you know, going on there with some, you know, former big names, whether it's, Matt Leinert, uh, Brady Quinn, uh, you said Urban Meyer. You know, there are people that have been at these big universities that are known for college football, and I think Mark Ingram will fit right in and, and be a really big personality for them. Charlie, we'll get back to football in a minute, but I think the last time we talked to you, hey, probably was before a lot of these NBA draft announcements. Obviously, it's been an up-and-down offseason, and recently more so up for Nate Oates and the Crimson Tide basketball program. Charles Bediaco declares kind of all looks lost in terms of at least contending for an SEC title. The front court is in complete shambles. Nate Oates goes out for three weeks and completely revamps really the entire roster as a whole. Obviously, you lose Quinterly kind of on the back end of all of it, which stings a little bit, but I still think they'll be all right. Your thoughts on kind of what Nate Oates has been able to do over the last month or so? He's done a hell of a job, you know, whether it's losing all three assistant coaches, uh, you're losing, I think, eight players from last year's team. Um, and so he's bringing in eight newcomers. And, you know, here of late, you're right, it's been you're really addressing that front court because losing Noah Clowney to the draft, which, you know, a lot of people knew that was coming, and then getting the, the surprise that Charles Bediaco wasn't going to come back to school, you had to, you know, fill some, some needs. And I think with – Grant Nelson with Jaron Stevenson uh, reclassifying and most recently getting uh, Mahomo Wagi. I, I think those are, are big moves for Fernandez and his staff. So right now they're at 12 scholarship players. The NCAA limits 13, so they can still add one more. Um, you know, the, the most recent departure was Javon Quinterly. And while you you mentioned that, you know, it's something that. I think what it is is Javon Quinterly was just inconsistent during his career at Alabama. He had some really bright moments, especially late last year. Um, I think that get, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But I think the inconsistency is something that can be made up for. But he, he showed up in big moments. And so, you know, they're going to need some other guards to step up, whether it's Aaron Strada, uh, Mark Sears, Rylan Griffin, Richard Latrell Reisel, um, you know, they're going to have to have some guys to step up. But he's put together a roster and a coaching staff to be able to continue to contend for, you know, SEC titles and to be able to, you know, be sitting comfortably on Selection Sunday. So I, I think Nados deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do this offseason to not only reshape the roster but reshape the, the organization because there were a lot of people – leaving and a lot, you know, going to greener pastures, whether it's the NBA or head coaching positions. But I think he worked the portal, the high school ranks, and obviously added to his staff to be able to put Alabama back in a good position to contend. 
yeah, one of those additions to his staff being Coach Murphy coming over from Creighton and uh, what he's labeled as a special assistant who's really going to be integral part of recruiting. If you kind of had to, to put a parallel window to him, I think he's going to be that Antoine Petway type of coach for the Crimson Tide to kind of bridge those gaps in recruiting for NATO's. But when you look on television on ESPN last night, you see Sports Center today, you're, you're seeing Brandon Miller, who has done and worked and been called the greatest Alabama basketball player in the history of the program. Brandon Miller has a chance to take on Wimbenyama tomorrow night. That's must-see TV, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, NBA Summer League is always exciting. I think a lot gets made out of a little because they're obviously not playing with guys they're going to be playing with this season. And, you know, the the Hornets are, were picking second for a reason. And so, you know, Brandon's having to do a lot. So I think he's really having to, to earn it in the, these uh, Summer League games. And But it's good. Um, you know, you get your, your first taste of NBA action. It's obviously going to ramp up when the preseason rolls around and things like that. But, um, no, I think if you look across the league, you know, Alabama's got eight, nine players that are, you know, competing, um, that are that basically have roster spots. Now, you got some other guys like, you know, Jaden Shackelford who are trying to latch on with the two-way contract and things like that. But um, it's, a, it's a good time for, for the Crimson Tide in the NBA. And really, I mean, right now, Brandon Miller's the big name because he's the number two overall pick. I think a lot of eyeballs are on him. But, Again, whether it's, you know, if, if Wimby plays uh, or not, it's still going to be a situation where there's not really a lot to be taken away from this you know, before the preseason even rolls around. We'll, we'll go back to, to football again with the Alabama Crimson Tide. And here locally in Mobile, you have a former two-time national champion, big offensive lineman. They call him Shank, Alphonse Taylor. He's kind of switched careers and is now going to coach a little high school football as an assistant coach at Alma Bryant. I know that anytime you have a chance to see former players do well, it, it, it's always a great thing, especially lending his expertise to the Hurricanes of Alma Bryant. Yeah, Shank's a good dude. You know, he's one of those guys that you enjoy talking to when he was a player and uh, even afterwards. I know he was really active on social media there for a while whenever his playing career ended. But, no, yeah, I mean, any chance that these guys get to kind of give back to the youth and to help those guys in their football careers, I think it's great to see. And uh, I know he's uh, gained some valuable experience, and I think he'll do well down there. Well, with the dismissal or in the transfer portal, Jamil Burroughs, let's go to, to Alabama's defensive line. And I know that a lot of people were considering Burroughs to step right into – a big plugger position for the Crimson Tide, but does that defensive line look totally different now, or is it just the next man up and part of the process that Nick Saban has? I don't think it looks totally different. I do think that Jamil Burroughs had a chance to be a big-time contributor for this team because he's a guy that can provide interior pass rush. When you can do that, um, you know that's a valuable asset to any team. Uh, and Alabama's really kind of been missing that that war daddy uh, up front. You know, they haven't really had that consistent, dominant force on the defensive line since Quentin Williams. That was in 2018, so it's been a while. But um, I think they have plenty of pieces. I think they still have 14 scholarship players on defensive line now. A lot of those guys are, are young. 
I think majority of them are sophomores and, and freshmen. But you know, getting Justin Boyd be back, you're going to have Tim Smith going into his senior year. We saw Big Jaheim Otis play a lot as a true freshman, and he can be that just stonewall in the middle of that defensive line. And then I look, you know, with this, um, with Burroughs entering the transfer portal, I think it creates opportunities for younger guys or guys that maybe aren't as clear-cut of their role in the rotation. Uh, I think Jamarian Latham would have played quite a bit, but I think he could play even more uh, with Burroughs moving on. I think a guy like James Smith, a true freshman, you know, he's a guy that was able to get some first-team minutes first team minutes in the spring and I think that could only elevate from here um you know guys like maybe Damon Payne or you know someone like that that's a little younger they're going to get opportunities that maybe weren't there before and I, I think that could be a good thing if they continue to progress and you know, play with that consistency but you know it's it's a situation where they're going to need guys to step up no doubt we're speaking with Charlie Potter senior team writer for Bama online Bama's on three affiliate Charlie, I mean, this is kind of the obvious question, but we're in the dog days of summer now, so you know we got to ask where where do you think the quarterback battle stands as of right now? There really hasn't been any news for the better part of the last month, and whether that be on purpose or by design, I'm sure it is. But how do you see it as we approach you know really about six weeks or so until we should have some sort of answer? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the summer months are really. Um where these are, are one, I think all along we anticipate this to kind of linger. Um, you know, they're able to do some stuff. They're able to work out. They're able to do some seven-on-seven seven stuff, and they still have the upcoming months ahead of them. But it, it's a situation where you know, once we get into preseason camp and, you know, they're only focused on football before school starts and they're able to put the pads on and you get Tyler Buckner into that competition, I think we'll start to learn more then. Um, I think all three of the guys that are kind of at the top of the pecking order did some good things after spring practice in terms of putting in the necessary work to be able to put themselves in a position to win this job. But, um, yeah, I mean, going into SEC media days in a couple weeks, I don't think it's a situation where we're going to have any kind of answers for the quarterback battle. Now, even if there were answers to provide, do I think Nick Saban would share those? No. I mean, that doesn't do anything for him from an advantage standpoint. But – um, I, I think there are some important dates still left on the calendar, whether it's those scrimmages um, in fall camp, things like that. So I, I still think it's a long ways to go from, from figuring things out. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or a sign of how things are going this summer. I don't think it was ever going to be, oh, some guy's just going to come in and, and blow them away um, on air. I mean, that just that's not realistic. So I think, you know, once August rolls around and they're able to put on the helmets and shoulder pads, I think it'll be a little more clear. They'll be able to kind of trim things down a little bit more. And then, you know, game one, game two, we'll have a better picture. We're speaking with Charlie Potter, senior team writer for Bama Online and On3 Sports. And, Charlie, we talked about the quarterback battle just now, but you, you've got to be able to keep them upright, and that's going to be a huge concern. And, and really, at times last year, was sporadic and had – one of the nation's elite quarterbacks and the number one overall draft pick running for his life, the anchoring of the offensive line, I think, has to be great this season for the Crimson Tide to go ahead and make sure they want to make the college football playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line will be will be pretty good. They have a lot of experience coming back. Obviously, there's a question at left tackle. 
um, you know, after the spring, that's still up for grabs, whether it's Elijah Pritchett, who played there mostly, or a guy, Caden Proctor, the true freshman, coming in. So um, I, I do think last year they improved in terms of, you know, pass protection. I think Eric Wolford, you know, had a lot to do with that. I think another year of working with him. And, you know, we heard from the offensive linemen, you know, all spring long about just the, the dominance that they want to play with. Um, I think it's important to them, but I also think it's important that we see that rather than hear it. And so, you know, we'll see how that goes. I think with bringing in a new offensive coordinator as well, just kind of the way they want to operate on offense with more balance uh, can be a benefit to this offensive line if they can, you know, play with consistency. And, you know, that will that'll be, like, that will remain to be seen. I think Tyler Bookner, Tyler Booker is a really talented player at right guard. J.C. Latham as well. He's someone that's being projected as a first-round draft pick. They got two experienced centers that are kind of playing beside each other there at center and left guard with Seth McLaughlin and Darian Dalcourt. If they can figure out left tackle, I think it can be not only an experienced but a talented offensive line. So I think they'll be they'll be fine there. I think they can be one of the best uh, in the SEC this fall. It's just they got to figure out that opening and, and play with more consistency. The wide receiver group is another one that there's been a lot of questions about. I'd argue it get the, you know the best way to get better at why at uh, really any position is by developing the talent you already have. Plus, you had Malik Benson on top of that. How good do you think relative to last year at least? Because I don't think it's gonna be like anything we've seen. You know, churning out first round picks. I mean, we'll see how Malik Benson is. But how good relative to this past season do you think this wide receiver group can be? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a little bit of you know Alabama had just a historic run of wide receivers, and that leads to expectations. And I, I think there's plenty of talent in this room, and I think some of these young guys are going to take that next step. I think Isaiah Bond, uh, we were actually just talking about it in our message board over at BOL, about how he's poised to have a big year. Uh, Kendrick Law someone that Nick Saban loves from an attitude standpoint. Kobe Prentice is a guy that started several games as a true freshman. If all of them take that next step along with Corey Brooks and Jermaine Burton as kind of the old heads in that room, and like you said, you add a guy like Malik Benson, that's six players I think that can play at a SEC level. So I think, again, I feel feel like a little bit of a broken record, but consistency. If those guys can go out there and the, the issues that we saw in the spring game with the drops, which that was kind of a a one-time deal, if they can get over that and just be able to make explosive plays, I, I think this offense um, will be pretty good, and I think they like what they have at a skill position level, whether it's wide receiver, running back, or tight end. So um, I, I do think that development of these young guys is important, and you know, you need some of the guys that have been in the program to step up and to be those consistent contributors that you're used to seeing. Now, I don't know if there's a first-round pick on this team. That remains to be seen, but – um, I do think that they've put in a lot of work this off season to try to get better because they heard what was said about them and they want to be able to be one of the best receiving rooms in the country. And I think they think they can be that. It just remains to be seen if they can put it all together. Charlie, I, I tell you, Nick Saban has always been able to put it together when it comes to recruiting. And he's continued to pick up recruits, of course, this weekend. Jameer Grimsley, another one that gets out of the state of Florida. And, and I think that that's what you have to, to look at 
from a promising standpoint to Ryan Williams down here at Sarah Land High School said, look, Coach Saban's going to coach till he croaks. And I thought that that was one of the, the all-time great lines from a high school student athlete, especially one who is committed to Alabama. But the, the process just continues from a recruiting standpoint. It does, and you know that's not necessarily my wheelhouse at the website, but we have an all-star staff. I, I think they're the best in the business, regardless of school. And uh, I know June was a busy month for them in terms of camps and visitors, and this could be a busy month in terms of commitments. But you're right. I think you know, even though the calendar has changed so much from a recruiting standpoint. And what used to be a quiet time of the year is now one of the busiest for these coaches. I still think we saw Nick Saban in his element in June whenever he was hosting these kids and interacting with them and putting that recruiting hat on. That's what he does best. Um, you know, I think that's what he'll go down as, as an all-time great recruiter. And, um, you know, at Alabama, they're able to develop that talent. That's why they win so many games and put so many guys in the NFL. But, um, yeah, I mean, should be a busy month in terms of guys that can choose Alabama from a recruiting standpoint. And I know uh, I won't be writing those stories, but our staff will have that covered more. Well, as we get ready to approach SEC media days here in a couple of weeks, when Nick Saban takes the podium, what do you think will be the most asked question outside of who is going to be the starting quarterback or why do you have five quarterbacks on the roster? It's, it's funny because um, you you go through SEC media days, and I hate that it's not in Birmingham because I won't be there for all four days, but um, you, you see what all the coaches are asking. It's different when Nick Saban's up there because he gets a lot of big-picture questions because people really value his opinions about these hot topics. So I'm sure you know he'll get asked about NIL, the transfer portal, things like that. Um, but, you know, I think also, you know, the quarterback position will get brought up, no doubt. But I think, you know, from a coordinator, coordinator standpoint, I think people are going to ask about that, and that might be something that gets brought up. Because, you know, you've had a spring now. Um, you've also had a recruiting, not full cycle, but, you know, a busy time, and you'll have a month and a half in the summer where it gets ramped up. I think just, you know, how they're adjusting. And it's more so Tommy Reese because we know – Kevin Steele is familiar with this program. So I think that could be something. Uh, I mean, position-specific, he could get asked about any and everything about this team. But, um, again, I, I think he'll be asked multiple um, big-picture questions. Uh, heck, he could even get asked about Mark Ingram and what he thinks he'll do from a broadcasting standpoint. But I do think that you know Tommy Reese and this offense will be uh, probably up there in terms of what I expect him to get asked about. All right, so so what I'm going to ask you about at WNSP Media Days, is it threads or is it Twitter? Which one is it, Charlie? <laughs> it's still Twitter for me. Uh, <laughs> it feels like I'm looking at a dumpster fire every day. But, um, I mean, heck, I've built a, a following on this platform, and uh, I'm going to be there until they turn the lights off. Uh, I did start a Threads. I mean, I have an Instagram account, so might as well. Uh, I don't know if I like it as much. Again, it's something new, so you kind of have to – adjust to it but no i'll i'll be at twitter until they they kick me out i got you charlie thank you so much for your time today and your wealth of knowledge covering alabama football and basketball as well and if people want to gain some of the knowledge that you're able to spread about the crimson tide and share about the crimson tide how can they do so even on threads 
Yeah, I mean, I'll have to memorize the the thread uh, handle, but um, yeah, over at bamonline.com is where you know I'm posted up, and we have just it feels like an endless stream of content with the amazing staff we've put together, and I'll share my stuff and and all their good stuff on Twitter at Charlie underscore Potter, and I think my thread handle is just at the Charlie Potter. Uh, the the one I had on Twitter was taken, which kind of ticked me off, but I think it's just the Charlie Potter. So. People want to get that close to what I have on Twitter. I greatly appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the Tide and Tiger Report on the final drive on WNSP. And we look forward to talking to you very soon as we approach SEC Media Days. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Charlie Potter doesn't get any better than that in that, regards to. That was to, me who took his Twitter handle. Yeah, off see, you did that. See, you you kept quiet until Charlie <laughs> was gone and and didn't want to tell him that you took his handle. The Tide and Tiger Report continues next. Daryl Daprich will join us to talk about the Tigers. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the final drive and the Tide and Tiger Report here on this Thursday evening. Want to thank everyone for tuning in and having us locked in on the WNSP app as well as giving us a call at 251-694-1055. And if we're going to talk to Tigers, we also love to talk to Daryl Daprich, president of, or excuse me, contributor to Locked On Auburn. And when you're Locked On Auburn the way that Daryl is, you, you know the great news that came for all the Auburn Tiger fans that regular season tickets officially sold out and I guess that's just part of the freeze effect that's going on on the Plains. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a little while. I, I got to tell you, I'm color me surprised. Uh, been around for a long time and followed Auburn athletics and particularly Auburn football. And, you know, this isn't the first time that Auburn's gotten a head coach where there was a lot of hype and a lot of enthusiasm and, and you know, basically optimism surrounding the program. I remember when Tommy Tuberville got hired after a subpar year uh, with Bowden, Terry Bowden. The, the, the enthusiasm was high. Not so much with Chiswick. I think there was a little bit of a problem with that. But then Gus Malzahn comes on, native son, and there just seemed to be some renewed optimism. This thing with Hugh Freeze really surprised me that it's at this level of a fever pitch. Uh, going to be going to SEC media days in a, in a few weeks, and I'm just – going to be really interested to see if that carries over to the amount of people that are that excited and that when Hugh Freeze steps to the podium. But but I am. I'm shocked that it's created this kind of buzz. I knew there would be some optimism, and I think it has a lot to do with more from where Auburn's come from. You know, when you kind of come from the valley a little bit and out of the shadows with what's happened with Harson the last two years, and there's a ray of light and anything to get excited about, I think that's magnified. And I think that's why we're seeing this incredible groundswell of enthusiasm. Talking to Daryl Daprich, Locked On Auburn. Daryl, bit of a 4th of July surprise. Cam Coleman, who had kind of been crystal balled to Auburn for probably a little over a week, 
I mean, it, he, Auburn Twitter and Auburn message boards were, were on fire after he committed to Texas A&M. I mean, just how surprised were you? How big of a loss is it to the 2024 recruiting class? And can Auburn, you know, no, of course, in today's day and age, nothing is done until, you know, signature on the dotted line. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, that it's really not over, even though there's a verbal commitment there, that it's, this one's not going to be over until signing day. I was surprised only because I get caught up with a lot of the crystal balls and a lot of the sources behind the scenes, players, players, you know, players, parents, that kind of thing that really felt like he was a lock to come to Auburn. And then, you know, last minute, Texas A&M swoops in. That part doesn't surprise me. I mean, let's be honest. There was a stat, a graphic that just came out today on social media, the top NIL initiatives in the country in college football and the 12th man initiative for Texas A&M was number two. They've deep, deep pockets, a lot of oil money, a lot of what Nick Saban said last year rang true. People just didn't want to hear it. And the way he said it about Jimbo Fisher, you know, using the verbiage buying players didn't come across well. But at the end of the day, Auburn felt like they had him. Texas A&M came in, really targeted him, wanted him. And I think if you feel comfortable at Auburn and you feel like they're family all along and then something like this happens, it has to be about NIL. And look, no complaints about that. That's the era that we're in right now. That's the game that's being played. That's how it is. You either step up your initiatives, your NIL initiatives, to compete with that, or you don't. I don't think this one's over. I do believe that as far as the impact of this, if Auburn is able to flip, uh, you know, another five-star receiver, they may be in on this Mike Matthews kid who's a five-star who hasn't committed yet. If they're able to land one of those, it severely limits the damage it's done. But if not, you've got to get five stars. You've got to get some five-star receivers to compete in this conference. And so from that aspect, it hurts. Daryl, you – you can't say the things that you're saying. You're going to offend Jimbo Fisher. He's going to be coming after you in his next press conference. When I go to bed tonight, after I say my prayers, I will sleep my eight and a half hours regardless of what Jimbo Fisher thinks. Trust me. You know, watching the way he operates and just some of the things that happened in the last couple of years, uh, really, it's just it is what it is. And And I think the other coaches in the SEC – are, are probably, you know, privately behind the scenes when you get people off the record, have a lot of a lot of, of strong feelings about Jimbo Fisher. But again, at the end of the day, this is the, you know, basically the, the format with which we're operating under college football. And everybody knows that Texas and Texas A&M have deep pockets. I mean, that oil money runs deep. And when you have NIL now, and NIL initiatives that allow for that. Now, you're not supposed to be able to use it to recruit kids. I get all that. It's happening. I mean, we can't be naive, and it's happening across the conference. It's not just Texas A&M. You know, these kids are getting bags dropped left and right, these high school kids, to, to come to a particular school. And I do believe that it's going to have to get under control. I'm okay with NIL as long as it's an athlete that's giving you value while he's on your campus and already part of your program, and there's an exchange of services, before he even steps foot on campus, I do have a problem with the amount of insane money that's being thrown around. And, I, again, it's not an A&M problem. It's across the board. Everybody 
is doing it. And, we're, and you know, it's naive to say that they're not. But I wish they could get that portion of it cleaned up. Well, I, I tell you, like I said, it's that's why they're going before Congress to, to try to straighten it out. And I wish they would have straightened it out before they went ahead and, and had the initiative. But speaking of NIL and, and recruits, Auburn is trying to flip Perry Thompson. And yesterday here on the final drive, we were able to have Bryce Kane, who is one of the best stories that I've ever heard or I have covered in my 25-plus years of covering high school football. Only his second year playing varsity football, meaning he hasn't even started year number two, runs a 4-2-4-3 speed, but goes ahead and, and Hugh Freeze saw something he liked in Bryce Kane because he said, look, young fella, we're going to we're going to offer you a scholarship. We'd love for you to become an Auburn Tiger. And he's trying to recruit Perry Thompson from Foley High School to flip from Alabama. And who better than to recruit you than somebody who's right here in your own backyard? I'll tell you, I love Kane. Very, very underrated signing. Auburn was fortunate and blessed to get in under the radar. This kid next year, I think his stats, his exposure, Everything is going to explode. When it's all said and done, he'll be ranked higher than where he's ranked now. Not that rankings mean that much when coaches got to see him at camp. Now, this I don't want this to sound like sour grapes. I'm just saying exactly what I've been told by certain coaches that were there at the camp is that he was the most impressive receiver at, at Auburn's camp. And that camp had Cam Coleman and some other higher-rated guys. He is an extremely efficient route runner. For somebody that's only in year two, you're right about the speed, but he's very polished for a kid that's only played two years of varsity football. The coaching staff loves him. He's a kid that I think is going to be, right now, he's, he's a little bit underrated, and I think he's going to be, by the time he graduates after his senior year, you just watch how his star rises, the number of stars, and how he's ranked recruiting-wise. Again, Auburn was fortunate to get on in on him early because there's going to be some big names that are going to try to flip him next year when it's all said and done. I like the fact that you had DJ Barber, the linebacker mm -hmm. from Clay of Chalkville, and you add him to already Jamarian Burnett, the running back from Andalusia, just runs literally like the high school's nickname, a bulldog. And you have Martavius Collins, from a tight end standpoint. So so Auburn's been very busy in regards to trying to go ahead and secure that 2024 class and adding more depth and even more excitement. If you're able to, to sell out games in Jordan-Harris Stadium prior to Hugh Freeze even kicking off against any opponents besides themselves, this is a great way to kick off a recruiting class also. Yeah, Walker White, the quarterback from Arkansas, I mean, the four-star. Auburn has, has moved in the last month from like 52 to the top 20 in recruiting. And a lot of people anticipate if some things break their way, you know, they could end up being a top 12 class when it's all said and done. There's a kid named Malik Lockton from right here in my neck of the woods, Pike Road, which is becoming a really good football factory, kind of a good program, defensive lineman. He's the brother of Marcus Harris, who starts on the defensive line for Auburn. He's supposed to commit Saturday. Of course, we'll see you know, how things are, but all indications are that you know, he's a four-star. you got to get some – that'll be Auburn's first line of scrimmage recruit, either defensive or offensive lineman in this class, 2024 class. He's a 
a good one. And there's there's some guys at the end of July, some defensive backs, some safeties, and some guys that another receiver or two that could commit. So I think it's trending. You got to hold on to these guys. It's a long way till signing day. But Barber's another kid like Joseph Phillips out of Booker T. Washington that recruited uh, two or three weeks ago. High four star, really good kid that you know Georgia wanted. You're going to have to win some of these battles. But at the end of the day, you've got to get some five stars. You can have four stars and three stars all day long and have a top 20 class and preach development like Tommy Tuberville did. He did a great job of getting guys into the league and never really had consistent top 10 classes. Gus Malzahn did have some consistent top 10 classes, but development was an issue. Auburn hasn't had a coach since Pat Dye to where they had both, a hybrid of getting top 10 recruiting classes and then being able to develop these kids to get them in the league. And they feel like they have this with you, Freeze. It, time will tell, but you've got to get some five stars. At the end of the day, to compete with Georgia, A&M, and Alabama, you better haul in some big dogs. And so Transfer Portal helps alleviate some of that, and you, Freeze, has shown that last year with what he did rebuilding this roster. But you can't do that. That's not a sustainable you know, formula. I think you have to still get the high school kids, and you got to still get the high-star kids. Daryl, we haven't talked to you, and we're talking to Daryl Daprich, Locked On Auburn. We haven't talked to you in a while since the 2024 opponents have been released. Of course, Auburn, mm-hmm. only team in the country that's going to be making the trek to Athens and Tuscaloosa. So that's nothing new for Auburn, though. They do that every other year. Your thoughts on that and really the, the rest of the 2024 opponents released for Auburn? I love the way it was done. I think it's pretty exciting. I think the SEC needs to do this more often and, and, and capitalize in, in a month where it's kind of slow, talk about college football and always have a schedule reveal. I think that's something special, especially with having 16 teams. I would have preferred Texas. Me and Zach did a little preview show where we kind of guessed who we thought the opponents were going to be, and he stomped me pretty good. I think I only got half of them right as far as the conference is concerned. I think they did a good job of balancing it for Auburn, having to go to Tuscaloosa and having to go to Athens. They did a good job with, with balancing that. Um, like I said, I would have rather seen Texas based upon the fact that it's been since 1991 that Auburn has faced Texas. They just recently played Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl with Baker Mayfield in 2016. So I, I wanted to see Texas. It's been a long time. But either way, I think they did a good job of balancing this out. It'll be fun to see Oklahoma roll in, Boomer Sooner roll in to Jordan-Hare. Um, pretty did, a, I think, a pretty fair job of equitably balancing the schedule. But I believe they need to do this every year. And I think what they're going to end up doing, I I do believe they're going to eventually go to nine. And I do believe it'll be some sort of pod system or, you know, three common opponents. But they reserve the right guys to look at this every five or six years. Commissioner Sankey said that. And we're going to talk more about that with him if we get the opportunity to speak with him at SEC Media Days, is that these things are cyclical. Teams peak and drop. They come and they go. So if you start to get three common opponents and they're not right, like if you have two that are rivals and then you just get one based upon status, it's nice to look at this every five years and reevaluate so you don't get stuck with somebody maybe, you know, for four or five years that you got number one, number two, number three team in the conference. And so I just want them to reveal these every year. I think that'll be special. It kind of makes it fun. And the opportunity to play opponents you haven't played 
for three or four years. I would also like to see Florida on the schedule. Florida has not come to Auburn in a long time. I think the last Auburn played Florida in 2019 at the Swamp. But it's been a long time since Florida has come to Auburn. I would have liked to see maybe Florida on the schedule. Uh, but it, it was it was fun. It was a cool reveal, and I think they did they did a fair job equitably as far as these schedules were concerned. Last question for you before we get out of here: Auburn former player Walker Kessler is selected to play for the USA Basketball twelve man roster, and that's a huge representation for the country. Of course, they'll be playing in the FIBA Men's World Cup to qualify for the Olympics. But Kessler being on that twelve man roster, yeah, you know Walker Kessler has really. From the time he got drafted in the first round in the rookie year that he had in the NBA, arguably you could say he had more of an impactful year than even Jabari Smith did. But when you look back at that 2022 basketball team, 21-22 basketball team, all the hype and all the glory and all the you know, recognition went to Jabari Smith. Kessler was a little bit in the shadows, a little bit in the background. And as we have time to look back on it now, it, we realize just how important – Kessler was to that team with his defense, rim protecting, rebounding, putbacks around the rim. You really realized how much you missed him. And I think in this day and age of the NBA, we don't have that typical, prototypical big man that's got the back to the basket, in the block. It's all about being able to run the floor, be more of a stretch five. Walker Kessler did that and did a really good job with Utah. So I think the sky's the limit for him. It is a great honor for him to play for the United States Olympic team. And, and just think about how, you know, in any sport, guys, whether it's baseball, hockey, basketball, when you get to go play for your country in the offseason, watch the growth that that particular player has the following professional season. It just springboards them. The confidence, the level of competition, it always is a good thing, and it helps them improve, and they go to another level after international play. And I, I think the same is going to be said for Walker Kessler. Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on this Thursday edition of the Tide and Tiger Report on the final drive. Darrell, how can everyone follow all your tremendous coverage? You can get us on Locked on Auburn when you get all your podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as well, just first and last name, and I'll be there. Darrell, thank you so much. Look forward to hopefully catching up with you at SEC Media Days. Take care, my friend. All right, you guys have a great night. Daryl Daprich joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report on the final drive. We'll put the finishing touches on it when we come back. Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station.